Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And before we go any further, I want to say hello to, once again, some of our newer listeners on Catholic Community Radio down in Baton Rouge, the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hello to all of our friends and listeners there, especially I want to say hello to all of our Eastern Catholics of the Maronite Rite. I happen to know one of your bishops very well, Bishop Gregory Mansour, and also one of your core bishops, Michael Thomas. You see, we were seminarians together in Rome for a while. We had a lot of fun together. In fact, Michael Thomas, especially Core Bishop Michael Thomas, he was he was a real character, lots of fun. In fact, we referred to him among our Eastern Rite brethren as the Patriarch at the time. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun when we were seminarians with now Bishop Gregory Mansour and also Core Bishop Michael Thomas. I want to say hello to both of them if they are listening, or if you're listening, pass my greetings on to them if you do see them and know them, and as well to all of our Maronite listeners and friends down in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We'll be talking about their Maronite church in a moment. But first of all, I want to make sure that all of you are doing what you're supposed to be doing if you're listening to this program during this time in which we are preparing for Christmas, the great Christmas event, the great incarnation. Hopefully you are observing what we call in the Eastern churches the Philip's Fast, called Philip's Fast because it's a 40-day period, kind of like a Lent in a way, but happens to begin on the feast of St. Philip the Apostle. It doesn't have anything to do with Philip himself, but it just happens to fall on his feast day, so it's a way of kind of a marking that. So we call it the Philip's Fast in the Byzantine churches. And during this fast, like in all preparations for great feasts, we do several things. Among them, the most important is we go to confession. That's right, go to confession. There's a saying, those who confess best far surpass the rest. Yes, we have four periods in the Eastern calendar in which we advise and urge people to go to confession. Now, we can't force you. We say you must go, but we certainly urge you to go. And a lot of times people wonder, well, when should we go? How often should I go to confession, Father? You know, rock bottom minimum, of course, is during the Lenten season. But there's actually another rule of thumb, and that would be during the four fasting periods, the four major fasting periods, at least in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, that lead up to and prepare us for four great feasts. The one we have coming up, the Feast of Christmas and the Great Incarnation of our Lord, and also, of course, Lent, which we call the Great Lent, before the Feast of the Dormition, or known in the Western Church as the Assumption of the Mother of God into Heaven. And finally, the the fourth feast is in June. It is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which there is a fasting period there as well. So again, confession is most important. Secondly, 
is fasting. Usually, it's something like abstaining from meat and dairy products on Monday, Wednesdays, or Fridays. Now, this is voluntary, and it also can be modified, but it's a pretty good standard. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, no meat or dairy products, if you want to know kind of a traditional guide for these fasts. The third thing is increased prayer. Go to church more often. Pray more often. Pray the divine office more often. The rosary, the chucky, the Jesus prayer. Whatever devotions are meaningful for you, ramp them up, increase them. And also, moments of silence. See, fasting is a time which we pull back. Now, it's especially hard for us during this time of the year when the rest of the world is saying, add on, take on, indulge more. The holiday season, they call it a holiday season, which is basically meaningless. It's just a bunch of basically enshrining pagan activity with no meaning to it. And in the church, though, however, this time of year, rather than go in the direction of indulging and buying and carrying on and adding on, we actually go the opposite, at least we should, especially in the eastern lungs of the church. We need to pull back, divest, get rid of. That's right. Get rid of. Don't take on more. Get rid of. So that we can, in fact, take on what is most worthwhile, most valuable when it comes to the actual event of the feast itself. Imagine, what condition would you like to be in spiritually? I mean, be honest with yourself. What condition would you like to be in spiritually to receive in your heart, in your life, ever more deeply and authentically the newborn Christ, God in the flesh, coming into your existence? How would you prepare for that? If you knew he was coming, you got a phone call. Oh, by the way, some angels in advance. By the way, God's going to stop by your house today. What would you do? You'd frantically be trying to clean up, wouldn't you? You'd be on your best behavior. You might even buy new clothes, do your laundry, clean the floor, whatever. You would do all kinds of things to prepare, to make sure everything was clean and in order. Well, that is a reality even now. When we step into a holy day like Christmas, a feast day, we're stepping into that same reality as though Christ himself is knocking on the door. He is coming into our lives. We relive that. We step into that one same reality that goes on forever. It's timeless. So it's actually happening. We have to live it like it's actually happening. Christ is coming into us, into our reality, into our home, into our heart to change it, enlighten it, transform it. What would you do to prepare for that? You wouldn't indulge. You wouldn't take on and add on. You would divest. You would fast. You would abstain. You would get rid of. You would clean up, wouldn't you? So as to take in the real thing, the presence of Christ. That's what this period of the Philip's fast is about, especially in the Eastern Church. In the Western Church, it's called the spirit of Advent. And that too, for those of you who are of the Latin rite, remember that your Advent season, which is a joyful expectation— was at the same time its origins was like ours in the East, a time of penance, of penitential preparation. That's one of the reasons why you use the color purple. It's not just because it's a joyful color, it's because it's also a penitential color. Yes, a kind of a joyful repentance, a joyful expectation, but a repentance, a cleaning house nonetheless. Now, also during this time in the Eastern churches and their calendar, we have some interesting feast days and days of saints and of prophets, which I find to be very exciting when, when they come up in the calendar. And today, as you're listening, we're on the final day of the celebration of the feast of the entrance of the mother of God into the temple, a beautiful feast day in which she's brought into the temple to be prepared as she grows up to become herself the temple 
of the living God. So it's a feast day of expectation for the mother of God, and therefore it's an appropriate feast day and a timely one for us during this Advent or Philip's fast season, as we are in a state of expectation for the coming of our Lord. And remember, I can't emphasize enough, this is a very real thing. We have to live it as though it is truly happening. We are receiving Christ. We are at that manger scene. We are in that manger scene. We are in that icon of the nativity. Now, what's interesting during the time of this feast, as always, are the liturgical texts, which really get across the meaning, the deep spirituality of the feast that we enter into. And in this particular feast of the entrance of the Mother God into the temple, the liturgical texts in the Byzantine church use some interesting techniques. One of those is one that we've presented to you before. It's in the form of a conversation. And also it uses the technique of allegory. Here's an example of the liturgical text from the feast of the entrance of the mother of God into the temple. This is from the Matin service. When Anne escorted the most pure temple into the house of God, she spoke these words in faith to the priest. Take the child given to me by God and lead her into the temple of your creator and sing to him joyfully. Oh, all you works of the Lord, bless the Lord. Upon seeing Anne, Zechariah said to her, you now escort here the true mother of life whom the prophets of God proclaimed in times past as a Theotokos. How shall the temple contain her? Therefore in wonder I cry out, All of your works of the Lord, bless the Lord. And answered Zechariah, saying, I come here as a servant of God, calling upon him with faith and prayer to receive the fruit of my labor. For I promised that after childbirth I would offer my child to him who gave her to me. Therefore I cry out in joy, O oh, all your works of the Lord, bless the Lord. And then the conversation continues. Now, actually, you now you have to imagine this conversation being chanted, but it actually is a kind of a narrative, a conversation done in the form of liturgical text and presenting the meaning, the theology of the feast. As always, there is a particular message or meaning of the feast day, and that's why we enter into it by going to church, praying these liturgical texts, reading the appropriate scriptures or readings for that feast. And in this feast, of the entrance of the Mother of God in the temple, which, as I mentioned, ends today, the post-festive, we call it, the message there is one of the expectation and of preparing ourselves to become, like the Mother of God, a temple. Temples where God dwells. That's right. You know, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And this period leading up to Christmas is a time in which we clean up our temples, prepare them to worthily receive the coming of God in the flesh. Now, as I mentioned, we also use a technique of allegory. And here's an example. The law foretold your wonders. It proclaimed you as a tabernacle, a jar of manna, a wondrous ark, the veil of the temple, and rod of Aaron, an indestructible temple in the gate of God. It thereby teaches us to sing, O pure virgin, you are truly above all creation. Hopefully, those references, the ark, the veil, the jar of manna, were familiar to you from the Old Testament. Those are all prefigurements of the mother of God. See, we kind of read back in the Old Testament in light of knowing now who is the mother of God. This is what we call allegorical typology, a typical technique of the scripture used in the Eastern churches. We're going to talk more about this preparation for Christmas and also about our friends in the Maronite rite of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. 
With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. My name is Deacon Michael Lee, and I would like to personally invite you to come and receive life. I am Father Thomas Loya, inviting you to discover life, unwrap, and explore John's gospel as a profound preparation for the nativity of Christ. Jesus, the good shepherd in the gospel of St. John, says that he came to bring us life and that we might have that life abundantly. And while we're unwrapping John's gospel, we'll examine the themes of incarnation, personhood, the most holy trinity, faith, the holy mysteries, and our call to holiness to name a few. Find out for yourself. Join us Tuesday evenings beginning at 6.30 p.m. Eastern during the Phillips Fast, November 20th through December 18th at the Byzantine Catholic Cultural Center located at 2420 West 14th Street in Cleveland's historic Tremont neighborhood. Can't make it to the center? Watch the live streaming video online and email your questions or comments to be part of the conversation. Visit bizcathculturalcenter.org for complete details. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. Pope Paul VI called him a marvel for our times. Pope John Paul II called him the first apostle of the new evangelization. You've heard the trailer for MediaApostle.com film, The Life of Blessed Father James Alberione, founder of the Daughters of St. Paul and the Pauline Family. Now we need your help to finish this 90-minute documentary and share Father Alberione's media vision, strategy, and spirituality of how to sanctify the media. If we can raise 10000 by December 31st, an anonymous donor will match the 10000 Donate $20 and you'll receive a medal of Father Alberione. Donate $50 and you'll receive a medal and DVD when finished. Donate $500, you'll receive a medal, book, and DVD. For free holy cards of Father Alberione's prayer, offering up the Mass in reparation for evil media, and that good media may increase, email us at mediaapostle at aol.com. Please watch the trailer at www.mediaapostle.com and donate securely online today. Thank you and God bless. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. As I mentioned, we're in the final post-festive day of this beautiful feast of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. It's a feast in which she is preparing herself to become that worthy temple of the Lord and a very appropriate feast and timely one for us as we, during this Advent or Philip's Fast, are preparing ourselves to become temples of the God coming in the flesh. In other words, Christmas, the newborn Savior. I also mentioned that we have some Maronite listeners, which we once again say hello to. And let's talk a little bit about the Maronite Catholic Church. I'm going to use some references from the Eastern Christian Churches, a brief survey by Father Ronald Roberson. It's an excellent source, the Eastern Christian Churches, a brief survey, Father Ronald Roberson. And he says this about the Maronites, and it's interesting about their Maronite Church because they trace their origin back to a particular person. Now, not in the same way that, for instance, our Protestant brethren do, but a person who followed Christ and had a very special holiness about him. It was in the fourth century, a group of disciples gathered around the charismatic figure of St. Marin. They later founded a monastery located midway between Aleppo and Antioch. In the fifth century, the monastery vigorously supported the Christological doctrine of the Council of Chalcedon. Now, by the eighth century, the monks had moved from their band of followers into the remote mountains of Lebanon, where they existed in relative isolation for centuries. 
It was also during this period that they began to develop a distinct identity as a church and to elect a bishop as their head, who took the title of Patriarch of Antioch and all of the East. That's what we used to jokingly refer to core bishop Michael Thomas as when we were seminarians together in Rome. A lot of fun with him. Now, the Maronites, they first came into contact with the Latin church in the 12th century, and that was during the Crusades. And then a, a very interesting relationship began to happen there. In 1882, the entire Maronite nation formally confirmed its union with Rome. But the interesting thing about that is the Maronite church is one of those churches, of the Eastern churches, that claims that they never really were out of union with Rome. In fact, uh, the Maronite church is one of those Eastern churches which, because of unique historical circumstances, does not have an immediate counterpart among the other Eastern churches and not, not among the Orthodox. So the Maronites are very unique in origin because they were basically developed, not founded by a man, but they developed around the charism of a holy man, a monk, St. Maron, and also because they did not have a counterpart in the Orthodox Church, nor were they ever out of union with Rome. Now, a major synod took place at Mount Lebanon in 1736, which was very significant for the Maronite Church, and they drafted a complete code of canons for the Maronite Church, and they created a regular diocesan structure for the first time and established the main lines of Maronite ecclesial life, and they endure to this very day. Now, it's interesting, too, when you go to areas like Lebanon, you'll hear that many Lebanese can speak French. That's because by the 19th century, the Western powers, especially France, began to offer protection to the Maronites within the Ottoman Empire. A massacre of thousands of Maronites in 1860 inspired the French to intervene with military forces. After World War I, both Lebanon and Syria came under French control. Now, the French wanted to grant Lebanon full independence, and they did so in 1944 and attempted to guarantee the safety of the Maronite community by leaving behind a constitution guaranteeing that the president would always be a Maronite. In fact, you may recall the president of Maronite was assassinated in recent years, and he was a Maronite. Now, you very seldom get that kind of information on most media outlets, but you'll get it right here exclusively on Light of the East. Yes, we were very sad when we heard that that president was assassinated in Lebanon because, as I mentioned, he was a fellow Christian, and in particular, a fellow Eastern Christian, a Maronite. A civil war erupted in Lebanon in 1975. Some of you might remember that. I know I do. It revealed, however, that the community's future remained precarious, and so many Maronites left Lebanon and made new lives themselves in the West, such as in the United States. That's happening today, as you know, if you listen to this program, especially when we have our special guest, Juliana Tamarazi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. We know that many Middle Eastern Christians are exiting they're leaving their homelands, the Middle East, because of the persecution. Very, very unfortunate. And the Pope has begged them to stay, but, you know, it's, it's a challenge because they're afraid for their families and their lives. And so many have come to America, including our Maronite friends. Now, there's a Maronite patriarchal seminary at Gaza and a diocesan seminary at Karm Sadi near Tripoli. Advanced theological education is provided at the University of the Holy Spirit at Kaslik. The Maronite College was founded in Rome in 1584. Now, the Maronite liturgy is different than the Byzantine liturgy. It's of West Syrian origin. See, a lot of liturgies in the East started in what we call the West Syrian tradition or the East Syrian tradition. Then they were, some of them were fully developed by the Byzantine tradition. They all, of course, started in Jerusalem. But basically, Eastern liturgies fall into two sources of origin beyond Jerusalem, and that is the East Syrian and the West Syrian. Well, the Maronite liturgy is a West Syrian origin and has been influenced by the East Syrian and Latin traditions. 
And the Eucharist is essentially a variation of the Syriac liturgy of St. James. Now, originally, this liturgy was celebrated in Syriac, and Syriac is actually the, the language very close to what Jesus would have spoken. In other words, the Aramaic. It's very fascinating. I always enjoy hearing certain words said by the priests who, who celebrate in the Syriac tradition, because I always ask them to, to say the words of consecration. I want to hear them those words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, take, eat, this is my body. I want to hear it in his own original language. So I often ask them to do that. But the liturgy recently, though, for the most part, has been put in Arabic ever since the Arab invasions. And there's been a steady emigration of Maronites from Lebanon in recent years, and it's but it's produced many flourishing communities in the places like the United States. In fact, there are two dioceses in the United States, one of which, of course, has Bishop Gregory Mansour, as I mentioned earlier, is one of my friends, a classmate of mine. We studied together in Rome. Also, Bishop Gregory's diocese, or eparchy, is out of Brooklyn, New York. And the Maronites also have a second eparchy, which is in St. Louis. So there's two eparchies or dioceses in America for their Maronite rite. So just a little bit about one of the Eastern rites of the church that is very unique in its liturgy and prayer. I highly recommend you to experience the Maronite rite, as I would recommend you to experience all of the Eastern rites. The best way to learn about the Eastern rites, in addition to listening to this program, is to experience their liturgies. The liturgies sort of give us an insight into the soul of the Eastern churches. It's the same in the West, too, but more so in the East, because the East, by nature, is a very, very liturgical people. So the best thing you can do is to experience their liturgy. And yes, if you're a Catholic and you attend a Maronite liturgy or Mass, it would satisfy your obligation. You could receive Holy Communion. So don't worry about that. They are Catholic, just as you are Catholic, if you're a Latin Rite Catholic listening to this program. So they are one of the many Eastern Rites of the Catholic Church. So again, our hellos go out to our Maronite listeners and friends, especially in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. God bless you and God bless your church. And we keep in our prayers, not only all of you here in America as our friends in the Eastern churches, but also your families and your churches back in your countries of origin, such as Lebanon, you know, the Middle East, where we find many Eastern Christians who unfortunately are being persecuted, having a hard time and are forced to leave. As I mentioned, the Pope has begged them to stay, but it's a challenge, and our prayers are with them. Going back once again now, finally, to our period of fasting as we're leading up to Christmas, there's a number of other things you can do as well. Remember I mentioned confession number one, attending services, especially if there's any holy days, such as the one we talked about here, the entrance of the Mother of God in the temple, anything on the church calendar, it would give you a good reason to go to church more often during this Advent or Philip's fast season. The fasting, the pulling back from things, the greater times of silence, and then something else you can do. Read a good book or some good literature. You know, you know we are what we eat, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally. I'm going to recommend something to that's very manageable. It's good meditations for this period of preparation for Christmas, and also it gives you a great glimpse into the Eastern churches. It's a, it's a brand new publication that's come out, something that I'm contributing to. I'm one of the contributing authors in it. It's called Theosis, and you can get this publication. It's a small, manageable publication, something like the Little Magnificat publication many of you are probably familiar with that oftentimes are found in the narthex and vestibule Roman Catholic churches. You can get this pamphlet, Theosis, with its very inspiring, short, informative essays by going to ecpubs.com. That's ecpubs, you know, like publication, ecpubs.com. That's a 
product of the Eastern Christian Publications, our good friend Jack Fingal, who many of you heard many times in our program here. So go to the website ecpubs.com and look to see how you can order the Theosis magazine. Very small little manageable pocket size edition that is brand new. I, as, as I mentioned, I'm a contributing author to it, and I think you'll find it a great thing to do during Lent. So, praying, fasting, going to church, going to confession, and feeding our hearts and minds and souls on good reading. These are some of the things we can do as we prepare for the coming of our Lord in the flesh. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>